How's it going, everyone? John here, the host of Spear Talk. You might not know this, but before I record an episode, I like to break a sweat. And I do that using the ChopFit. Over the course of the past year, the ChopFit has allowed me to lose weight, tone up my body, and feel even more amazing about myself. A feeling that you should all feel about yourself as well. If you use this code, SpearChop10, you get $10 off your order. Once again, use code SpearChop10 for $10 off your ChopFit order. It'll change your life. Thank you. How's it going, everyone? John here, the host of Spear Talk, and today we have the incredible Michelle Belanger. Uh, Michelle is an American cult, occult expert, a former National Merit Scholar, spokesperson for the modern vampire subculture, uh, author of such books as Dictionary of Demons, The Psychic Vampire Codex, Psychic Energy Codex, and uh, one of the reasons why I got familiar with Michelle is through the AD show, Paranormal State, amongst other shows. And so, uh, Michelle, it is great to finally have you on here. Great to be on here. And uh, just to kind of preface this for everyone that's going to listen to this episode, the reason why I reached out to Michelle um, is because Barry Kirch of Shinedown, the drummer, he texted me saying, hey, I would love, you should definitely have her on the, on the show. Um, he actually would have been on here, but he's in the middle of traveling right now, so maybe next time. Uh, but one of the things that Barry and I bonded about is uh, we both came from, uh, he came from a Catholic background and kind of went to kind of paganism. I'm still in the Catholic background, but we always meet and talk about different stuff, whether it's uh, witchcraft or pagan or whatever, all these different religions. We always talk about the witches and uh, demons and exorcism, and all this stuff in the middle. So we always have these really healthy conversations about a lot of stuff we're not really not experts in. And so to have the opportunity to talk to someone like you uh, really is a blessing. It's cool. I'm, I'm, I was raised Catholic too, so I, I totally get it. <laughs> awesome. So I kind of want to jump in here, just feet cold, but if you could kind of paint the picture of how you got into this line of work, uh, because it's not something that people willingly jump into i don't think i don't I've, i don't know anyone that's wrote a book about what you wrote about psychic vampires and stuff like that so how did you kind of get drawn into this into this this lifestyle well i was raised by uh, a family irish catholic um one or two generations away from like coming over on the boat and the, the interesting thing about catholicism is there's a lot of magic and mysticism there so uh, although like the family my great aunt was very much like a regular weekly churchgoer. My grandmother was like the mystical one. And I, I grew up with stories of, you know, fairies and psychic experiences, uh, doppelgangers, black dogs, the black coach, like all of this stuff. Um, I was a pretty sick kid. I was born with a heart defect. So there was, it was touch and go. Um, my life expectancy was five if they couldn't get this surgery to work. Uh, so there were a lot of conversations about life and death, what came after. And I was really lucky in the fact that I was encouraged to read as widely as I wanted to, to ask questions, to really like dive into experiences and to on one hand experience them fully. And on the other hand, always step back and study them. Like, like take that academic approach as well, which is really what led to um, my, my college stuff where uh, I was, Oh, a National Merit Scholar, so like a full ride, um, kind of a brainiac. And as much as there was like some push pull of like, you should go into science, you should go into this. I'm like, I want to learn about what people believe and why they believe it. So my degree is in comparative religious studies with a concentration in psychology of religion. It's for me, it's always fascinating because I never started this podcast uh, to talk about religion or politics. I think that stuff can stay out of it. We can still have healthy conversations. But what I've noticed is whether different guests, whether athletes, actors, authors, researchers, former cops, military, the idea of believing in something else. And so I've had mm -hmm. conversations about people that are Catholic, atheists. Uh, I have one coming up that doesn't believe in anything and one that believes in Satanism. And a lot of times I think the idea of whether whatever religion or faith you have, it kind of scares people. Um, to not really understand what one person believes or whatever. And I think it's, it's unfortunate because while I have my faith and my belief in what I, what I stand behind, I'm also very receptive to others because um, I want to learn and understand the idea you, you hit upon about the idea of learning and understanding why people believe, how people believe. It's, it, it's something that's really, I think if more people were like that, we'd be more better off. Yeah, no, I love the conversations. And also I was, um, 
I, I early on had a, a goth band. I was part of the metal scene. We toured. Uh, and when you're deep into the goth scene in like the like late 80s, early 90s, and one of the things I loved about the, the clubs, you know, you're sitting there in these dark, smoky clubs, sitting in the, the corner, um, watching people dance, listening to the music, but the conversations that would happen and, and just like those sort of like casual what ifs about like what what is the real shape of the world and what if this thing exists and so much of the subject matter of the songs would inspire that as well. So exploring it both, you know, from an academic standpoint, but also from an artistic standpoint uh, as, as part of a, a cultural aesthetic uh, that I never felt closer to people than when we were able to bond over art that we enjoyed and then discuss what it inspired in each of us. Does, does the last couple of years affect your belief in what you believe in at all in a negative or positive way? Like how does that affect kind of your approach as we kind of navigate out of the last couple of years? I mean, the last couple of years have been pretty hard, I think on everybody. And I, it, it's interesting to see how for some people it sort of steered them toward uh, almost a fanatical clinging to, to extreme beliefs. Whereas I think a lot of other people it's raised questions and they don't have all the answers, but those folks who are comfortable like me, recognizing that there isn't always an answer or an explanation, sometimes just terrible things happen, uh, that it's easy to feel a little unmoored, but adapting to finding community and, and support, uh, especially digitally now, uh, being able to remember to reach out and remember the humanity of the people on the other side of the screen has been a big part of it for me. Growing up, and even still now, when I play video games or read comic books um, and watch whatever type of media is out there, movies and stuff, I've always been drawn into the occult, uh, all the way through uh, Hitler, Nazi Germany, the video games, Catherine Wolfenstein, uh, and then all the way up to Da Vinci Code, where it's like this underground sect and the Freemasons and these underground societies that try and bring up open portals. And so, is is that stuff like there? I think I'm drawn to it because I'm fascinated by. I don't know what, what to believe, whether or not, but the idea that there are people at that time believing in it, I think that's what kind of fascinates me because I mm. don't, so is this something where you kind of have these kind of thoughts, you, 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 you tour with the bands, you, you go on these shows, and as you go through, you learn about the stuff, go to the libraries and all this stuff. Is it the fascination, is that what drew you in per se? Mm. I had a number of experiences myself uh, and, um, you know, I, I work on Portals to Hell and Paranormal State, both as, as, as a psychic. Uh, what a lot of people don't get to see is I started as an occult researcher for those. I, I didn't like start working with them as like, hey, I'm a psychic. Uh, it was more that they discovered that on one of the episodes I came in on uh, as an occult researcher. And they're like, you're a way better psychic. Like, we want to see you do this on, on camera. And I'm like, well, I mean, sure. But... I've always had a love-hate a love-hate relationship with how psychics are usually presented, but also how many of them will present themselves. I am not a psychic for hire. I'm not someone who will just like do readings for. I studied the spiritualist movement and how it was interwoven with the tragedies of the age, and how there were probably more charlatans than there were genuine people, and I have deep ethical objections to the way in which people would capitalize on grief. Uh, so that, that whole like, well, I'm a psychic on TV. And also that's not only who I am. Like there's a lot more to it that never can make it to, to, to camera. Um, so I'm into this stuff because I grew up in a weird family. Uh, I was encouraged to just do whatever my, my little creative heart desired. Uh, and, you know, that included reading Edgar Allan Poe in second grade and, you know, playing Dungeons and Dragons, like all the weird stuff. Uh, and definitely have had experiences that I cannot, no matter what type of a psychological background or a scientific brain I have, can't always explain. It is like I growing up, I remember I collected Magic the Gathering cards just because I love the the pictures, the artistry. And then I watch and read back all the the Conan comic books and novels. Um, it, it is always fascinating to see mainstream. I use that lightly, hmm. uh, but celebrities, like you always see like uh, Vin Diesel, Vince Vaughn, uh, 
Joe Mangiello. Like they're always playing Dungeons and Dragons. There's people you don't assume would even know what that game is or mm-hmm. here they are painting figurines and dressing like druids and get really getting into character. Again, it's I just can't, for me, it's tough to understand again, why people like that are drawn into the game. And I guess that's why you're here because I'll be kind of understand mm-hmm. that you don't, I guess I have this perception where if you are into the occult uh, or vampirism or you're a psychic, in my head, because I've watched TV for so long that I have, they're telling me that these people are all bad. They're all black nail mm. polish, uh, capes, whatever they are. They go to Salem every Thursday. Uh, <laughs> so that's not the case. I think that's just really fascinating to me. Yeah. Well, it's, I mean, I'm, I'm just guessing from like some of your pop culture references that we're about the same age. So we grew up during the height of the satanic panic where, you know, d- Oh, Dungeons and Dragons, it's a gateway to Satanism. The tarot cards, they're a gateway to, like, like everything was a gateway to Satanism. And uh, the, the, the weird irony is, like, I've met Satanists and I'm like, oh, you're just kind of like bobbed down the street and you've kind of just self-actualized. Like, it's more of a philosophy of, like, I worship myself. You can't tell me to worship anything else other than, like, what I want. Okay, cool. Um, it's, it's complicated, though, because there are certainly people who get... I don't know, so sucked into whatever their hobby is that they, that they're just eating their own butt. I don't know if I'm right. allowed to swear on this. So no, I'm being sure. very yeah. PG. No, yeah. you won't be censored. <laughs> okay, good. They're eating their own assholes. Uh, and, and we all know that, per- that that person, and we know that person in pretty much every aspect of society, like whatever it is that they get like way too into, um, they can get caught into an echo chamber and just take it way too far. Uh, so it's easy to, I think, point at the folks who are black clad, you know, creepily dressed folks with like, you know, the, the long metal fingernails and go, well, they're, they're scary. Um, and overlook that the person who's just in the preppy clothes and like, you know, it's got their Bible, like, you know, clutched to their chest is just as scary if they're taking it to the wrong degree. Uh, yeah. There was a really cool, uh, a thing on Netflix recently, um, Midnight Mass. If you haven't seen yeah, it yet, yeah, I really recommend it. I was literally going to bring it up now. Yeah. yeah, the Bev Keens of the world. Like, 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 they're just as bad. They're just as bad, if not worse, because you just, they pass for normal and they're monsters. It's, uh, what was it, the West Memphis Three, they were accused because they had this uh, satanic, whatever it was, ritual they were doing, and just because of the way they looked. It, that whole case is very... Uh, interesting too there's other cases too where yeah if you if you look like a satanist or you're perceived as dark uh, black nail polish and you listen to Marilyn or he's a bad example because i think he's a piece yeah. of shit but you listen yeah. to rob zombie you listen to slayer like oh you are you are evil and so uh it's again it's it's super powerful and so and i, I want to so what uh, what we when i tour um we, we have days off. We always try to research and find some place to kind of go and learn about whether it's a library or a hike or whatever it is. And in 2016, I believe, 15, I, we had a week off in Dublin with a band Nickelback. And so me and my buddies, uh, we just went to CERN because we knew it was opening the portals. We met all that. Like, it was really mm-hmm. cool. But when we were in Dublin, I researched the Hellfire Clubhouse. Oh, the hell cool. Dublin. And we went there and we're kind of there. We learned about the portal there and like the, how the Freemasons would gather and then so-and-so uh, there'd be sacrifices and all the stuff and the, it's haunted. There's a black cat that haunts the place. Well, right down the road, there's like this weird portal, they say, that gravity has zero gravity where stuff rolls up and down where it looks whatever it is. And stuff like that. I'm like, we literally went a day out of our way to go check out something based on the occult, something based on the lore and whatever. And again, I'm just so blown away uh, that here we are with the tour guide who told us about the history and the sightings and the paranormal stuff there. And back of my mind, I'm like, man, we are here because I wanted to look for a portal to hell. And it, <laughs> it, it kind of blows my mind. <laughs> well, the question, of course, is like, if you find one and you open it, like, what, what are you going to do then, though? <laughs> like, well, that, right. And it's like, well, six two, where I guess the question for you is, if I don't say I'm Joe Schmo and I'm at this place or I'm, I'm at some dig site, Italy that say they found the portal to hell. And I don't believe in that stuff per se yet. 
hypothetically it opens up or something latches onto you or you see something because I don't believe on that. Can I still be affected by the negative energy from said place? I mean, it depends on what type of effect you're expecting. Uh, so there are places and portals to hell is, it's an interesting term. It actually predates Christianity. The idea that there are these places that are openings to the underworld, uh, a, a liminal space where you can kind of transit from this reality to the next soft spots, if you will. Uh, you find it in you know, ancient Greek stuff, like you have to find a certain way to get into to Hades to go down. Um, so this is part of human experience. It's part of our folklore, part of our mythology. And if we go off of those, like the reports of people who stumble on them accidentally, people who actively seek them out, there's some experience that people have, whether or not it is purely a supernatural experience or if there is some sort of psychological trigger about this location that opens us up to experiences that are drawn more from the depths of our unconscious mind. Uh, and the fact that it's hard to navigate the line between those two things is one of the things that really fascinates me. So I don't think you have to believe in it to have an experience from it, to have something affect you. I do think that your belief will impact how you interpret that experience. Is there, how do you differentiate, again, for someone that's kind of learned, tried to learn this, which I think a lot of the listeners will, how do you differentiate between say the occult uh, slash witchcraft? Is there like a, what is the similarities and differences? Because for me, again, as a novice is trying to understand this, <laughs> I would, I don't know how I could tell them apart. Because the language, <clears throat> the words are, are inherently meaningless after a certain point. I mean, occult just means hidden, secret. So anything occult was, was anything that falls under this umbrella of hidden or secret knowledge or knowledge that was guarded um, for people initiated into these mysteries only, which can include witchcraft, can include magic, ceremonial magic, Satanism, all, all of the different things. Uh, we currently, you know, in our culture have this sort of like idea of occult connected to cult activity. Uh, gotcha. And the two really aren't connected at all, except they sound similar. Um, and that's got a lot to do with the satanic panic. So how do you tell the difference between occultism and, and witchcraft? Generally witchcraft, think of it as a subset of like an occult practice, um, the modern metaphysical movement. Uh, you can find new age stuff in there. You can find um, Wicca, which is a branch of witchcraft. It's about as difficult to navigate as trying to understand all the different branches of Christianity. Like there's Christian, but then there's all of the different ways of practicing it. And each within those, every practitioner is gonna be slightly different as well. Uh, so, so how do you tell what's what? Uh, honestly, the harder thing for like paranormal investigators is making sure the difference is not somebody who is listening to heavy metal and like, you know, is really into like ghost uh, or, or zeal and ardor and that, that, that sigil that they've put on the wall was not purely fan service to the music. Uh, witchcraft broadly has a connection to the natural world uh, and is usually about um, harnessing powers from that natural world. There's often, but not always, some involvement of a god and goddess or at least sort of divinity figures that are polytheistic. And I say not always because uh, of late, especially, there's become a kind of non-theistic witchcraft as well, where people are merely practicing magic. They're using a lot of the trappings, but it's not about worshiping any god or goddess, anything in any shape. It's just about harnessing this sort of natural power within people. Um, as someone who navigates the space between you know, the witchcraft and occultism and ceremonial magic and vampires and psychic and paranormal, what I can say is everybody's talking about very similar stuff, like paranormal, psychic. Uh, a lot of psychic experiences line up with a lot of stuff that witches are doing. Um, there's a fellow, Matt Oren, wrote a book called Psychic Witch, which uh, just very you know unapologetically explored <laughs> the crossover between that, where there's psychic stuff, there's witchcraft stuff, there's paranormal stuff, and there's sort of a, a thing that they're all playing around with. Very interesting. So 
you mentioned like the lore and stuff. I think that's something vital where it's like whether the black dog running around the Irish countryside or the ancient hieroglyphics and cave drawings to show UFOs and this stuff. And I'm always curious. Now we keep, here we are today, uh, still talking about the same drawings and we're, we're still kind of seeing the same stuff or people that are. My biggest fear is that that at one point, at a point in time, we will, th- there'll be no longer another generation of people who will keep telling these stories or the folklore. Now, you don't have to believe this. This isn't about a, whether it's real or not, but the idea of stories being shared and passed down generations. So for like a two-part question, is that something you always think about too? And two, mm. is there something now that we could do as, as people uh, to kind of preserve the lore, the history and stories for future generations? I think the stories will always be told in different forms. It's just a question of like how much of an unbroken chain we manage to keep. Uh, There are certain elements of folklore that just show up again and again and again, hidden people, little people, you want to call them fairies, goblins or whatever. You will find that like culturally around the world. And it can be argued that that's just an expression of the human collective unconscious, the way in which we interface with reality inspires certain stories. Uh, and inevitably we give the dark a similar shape. We give, you know, the, the, the fact that we mislay our keys all the time is actually somebody stealing them from us. Um, so, but, but do I think like, how do we keep the stories alive? First, we keep our wonder alive. Like we allow ourselves to, at least in the moment, listen to the story and allow for the possibility that this was meaningful to someone. They might have misinterpreted their experience, but to pass it along, to tell it the way they did, they believed some part about it. And that says something about them. And there's always a grain of truth in that. Even if what they're talking about, you know, elves that lived on the other side of the Glen, we're just a different type of people who looked different from them and spoke a different language. Uh, and we would lose those little fragments of history if we didn't allow for the perpetuation of these stories. And also I think we lose something if we just close the door and say none of it could possibly ever be real because that's a pretty boring world. Right. So as I kind of dabble, not dabble, but dabble in research, uh, I love the the idea of maybe that's not even the right word either, but Hitler going for the occult. Like I'm always curious, like mm. what was Ed game? What was his goal to, I mean, we knew he was a vile human being, but he had something about the occult, the mysticism drew him into the research and all this stuff. And there's a lot of smoke out there where it's just none of it could actually happen. Mm. But does someone like that come in once in a blue moon that's, I mean, I, when's the last time after Hitler that someone of that prevalence, everyone knows who he is, has been such a proponent of the occult and trying to figure out these type of portals and stuff like that? Arguably any, I mean, this gets into like some, some questionable territory, but if there are actually um, like government officials involved in any kind of aspect with QAnon, there are definitely people right now who are diving into some pretty weird territory with cultism, magic, and beliefs. Uh, and as much as that stuff has really like rolled, snowballed into like, like yes. wild, truly wild conspiracy theory, at the core of that, there's someone who's spent some time, or, or a group of someone who spent some time with neuro-linguistic programming, who are familiar enough with some pretty foundational myths um, and folk beliefs to have kind of patchworked something together that is clearly accomplishing something. Um, if that something is only to get a bunch of people to believe something that will now motivate them to do things. It, it is very, you actually said that in a way I really could explain it. Cause I've, we've had guests on here that talked about cults and QAnon and the, that one person is able to control people based on these crazy whether it's valid art research and stuff where this almost is hive mind. Uh, but I guess I never really looked at it like that where the, yeah, very fascinating. Just, and it's, it's, it always makes me wonder. Now the occult we used to like, they're always, they're evil, they're evil side, they're evil, mm-hmm. evil people. But is it possible to have that same, like why can't there be a, a maybe this, 
again, a two-part question. We never hear about the occult being anything positive. Like it's always, again, this goes back to what we said earlier. It's always assumed they're up to no good and stuff like that. But one, is that, is that truthful? And two, why can't there ever be something out there, the hive mentality, that's cerebral out there, that's mm-hmm. let's do something good and be positive. Let's be good people. Like it's always, it always seems like it's easier to get more people to jump on that bandwagon of now again, right or wrong. Like I'm not going to knock those mm-hmm. people today. Uh, but some of the stuff is utter bullshit. And but mm-hmm. how can we, why can't we get behind people, everyone together about really good stuff that's out there, it's helpful, and let's be like really good, empathetic people. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's very fascinating to me. Well, one, those, those groups absolutely exist. They just don't really make the news very much because we like sensational. Yeah. We like the, the titillating horror of like, look at either look at this to laugh at it because it's so out there or look at the damage it's doing. Like we only notice the stuff that's doing damage. It's sort of the same effect that happens with any kind of online reviews. Like humans by our nature are much more motivated to complain about something and to actually like say that we're angry about it than we are to say what we liked. Yeah, and, like Yelp reviews, right? Yeah, no, like, like you can see it, Amazon reviews, Yelp reviews, anywhere people can go and leave a review. Uh, and, and I mean, I do it too. I've got friends who are writers and I've got their books and I'm like, wow, I loved this. And do I find the time to actually leave the good review? No, but I will, I will bitch <laughs> if something- Oh, yeah. So, on one hand, we, we, it's a little bit of confirmation bias. We see the bad stuff because it's the stuff that gets, that really gets screen time. Uh, you don't get to hear that much about like Selena Fox, who's been quietly running um, Circle Network yeah. up in Wisconsin, um, doing Lady Liberty League for, for decades at this point, has like a whole like pagan, um, you know, end of life thing going, like this, this very vibrant community of, of support and exploration, does rituals, helps other people get to this sort of pastoral care. Uh, you don't hear that much about that because, I mean, she looks like, at this point, she just looks like a lovable grandma with long hair who is occasionally doing goddess invocations. Right. It's, it's so fascinating. So <clears throat> in doing like research on you, one of the things you're an expert in, uh, wrote a lot of books on and stuff, is the idea of a uh, psychic vampire. And mm-hmm. when I saw that, I'm like, man, is this like, is this like some Terry Brooks stuff? Like, is this real? <laughs> and so, but here's what's crazy is that I'm reading it. And I, the back of my head, I go, man, whatever I always preach for me to be successful in what I do, whether it's no matter what I do, whether it's, I can't be around negative people. I mm. find that if I'm around negative people, that it will zap or suck out the life mm. out of me where I start thinking negative. I start bitching. I excel when I'm around people that are positive, that are picking each other up out of the trenches and just being good people. And so I'm like, this is the psychic vampire idea of, I, these people that will latch on to individuals because they're miserable, they have to make everyone else miserable. And it's quite fascinating. So if you can kind of talk about the idea of a mm. psychic vampire in layman's terms, uh, because it's super fascinating. So um, it's, although they do a pretty good job kind of lifting it for what we do in the shadows. <laughs> they yeah, really do. Right. Yes. Um, <laughs> so a psychic vampire is someone who regularly and actively like sucks the life out of people. Um, you can think of it as more a psychological thing, or you can think of it as like literally there's this vital energy that people can give and take. Like every conversation we have, every interaction we have, there's a cycle of, of energy exchange. Um, and you, know, you can feel that. Any, anybody who's a performer knows what it feels like to be aware of the energy of a crowd, to feel the way that that will like peak and valley and that there is definitely an interaction. If you've ever been in theater and you just have that audience that is not responding, it is exhausting to go through um, as opposed to an audience that is engaged and you're engaged. And so there's this this reciprocal give and take. A psychic vampire is someone who might not be aware of it consciously, but they take that. Um, You know, a a whole audience full of psychic vampires, you're just gonna like, you know, be on the floor before the time, uh, of, uh, before you're done with the, the thing. Now, there uh, was a whole movement, a whole community uh, that was sort of like a little branch off of the, the modern, like magical community of folks who were like, hey, I think, I think I have this as a quality. Like, I think my psychic abilities, I'm also a psychic vampire and I don't want to be a dick. 
like I don't want to just like you know like the life off of everybody so so what one what is this how does it work and is there a way I can do it so I get what I need but I'm not hurting everybody um and it's just a matter of being conscious of how that energy flows what that means and that some people do have more energy than others some people don't quite have enough and there are healthy ways to, to get it and so a psychic vampire uh, in the most basic definition is a person who needs to regularly and actively take human vital energy in order to maintain their own health and well-being. Uh, you'll recognize the unconscious psychic vampires as usually one of two archetypes. And I like to go old aunt Edna um, and that asshole at work. <laughs> old aunt Edna. <laughs> she doesn't, she would never think of herself as a vampire. She probably doesn't get out of the house much. Um, she always has everything, everything going wrong with her. And you need to come over and sit down and she will tell you about her hemorrhoids, her bunions, and why her cat yacked on her shoes in the morning. And like, you will just feel yourself slipping deeper and deeper into the couch as, you know, and just one more thing and just one more thing. And she's, she's just sucking that attention and the empathy and that everything out of you. And by the time things are done, she's a little perkier and you just sort of want to stab yourself in the eye with a spoon. <laughs> like we all have somebody like that yes um, and and if maybe she got out more if maybe she had healthier relationships healthier boundaries anything maybe it would be different but it isn't um, and it's a little bit more exhausting than simply talking to a relative who just just loads all of their crap on you that asshole at work is a little bit more aggressive about it and again they probably don't think of themselves as a vampire but they probably do think of themselves as an alpha as a dominant as like there's they know every button to push they know that they're in charge they know and, and they they will just swoop in and incite a reaction from a person that they work with and dominate them with their personality and really like find a way to to suck all of the reactions out of them um, and use that as a kind of self-empowering thing uh, and, and again, you can look at this from a psychological perspective, um, the, the idea of psychic energy. I actually first found the term in Jungian psychology. I did not find it in occult books. I was surprised to find it in occult oh. books. And then I was more surprised to find that the number of occultists in the early 20th century who were psychoanalysts and who were Jungian psychologists was really not a non-zero number. Like there was a lot of crossover. Um, Freud was hot to avoid how much occult psychology crisscross there was. Um, so what all of that blossomed into for me is like, there's a whole freaking like worldwide community of folks who are, well, I'm not a witch exactly. And I mean, I'm sort of psychic, but there's also this other thing. And this is how I shape my identity. Like, this is what this means for me. And I'm not sure if this is similar, but sometimes when I meet someone for the first time or I have my friend and he brings over a new girlfriend or, or vice versa. And I'm like, he'll ask me after us friends will talk after be like, what do you think of that person? Usually nine times out of 10, oh, great vibe, whatever. Mm -hmm. but times when they have that bad vibe, mm -hmm. like, well, like, what do you, they like describe it as like, I just don't, there's just something about her presence or his presence or whoever it is that doesn't, it seem, it kind of, like you kind of said, like you could feel like the wave of like the, whatever it is. And so is that kind of similar to, I don't know if that's a psychic ability, but if everyone in the group could feel like that person, there's something off about that person without really knowing them, like is mm -hmm. that kind of the same type of vibe? I, I think that that's a psychic ability. I think a lot of people, a way more people are psychic than realize it. Um, you know, they're, they're not always like, I'm getting pictures in my head psychic. Uh, some of, uh, several of my friends are uh, vets, several work in security. The best ones at it are the ones who are what I think of as their psychic abilities are about, they process it as a gut instinct. They can't tell you why, but they know, they know. Like, like it's just this, this sudden, like just deep in the belly knowing that like that person's gonna cause trouble or that person's fine. Yeah, so for me in the security world, my intuition, um, is very, I can look at someone and be like, there's something wrong there, right? or there's something good there. Something's gonna happen with that person mm -hmm. next couple hours. Um, but for me, I've always kind of used intuition uh, versus deja vu versus uh, psychic. Like it, it all seems so similar to me. It's kind of tough to kind mm -hmm. of separate what it is. Cause when I say, when everyone's like, oh, trust your gut, trust your gut. Okay, cool, I got it. And usually you go with your gut there, but what's that feeling 
of your gut, is that your psychic kind of your body kind of telling you go with it? Like you go that way. I think it's a mix of several things that we process as, as a final thing in the end. So on one hand, we are aware of body language. Uh, on the other hand, people like you have a lot of experience with knowing from previous experiences, you know, there are signs, there are tells, there's a shift in a, in a, like a group of people right before something like goes down. And even if you're not conscious of recognizing the way people start to just change in the, the, the tone, like that's information. Our brains are a supercomputer. And I've spent most of my, most of the past 20 years trying to figure out where's the line between the physical real world stuff. So the body language and like the sound of people and just, just all of this stuff. And then where is the psychic line? Because there is another layer to it that sometimes you can peel away all of the real world reasons and you still are like, I don't know, but I know. The end result is, you know, like, like for me, it's all, it's all practical. Like, I don't care if it's really psychic, if you can prove or disprove it as psychic. If the end result is I have information that is useful that now tells me what to expect from something, kind of don't care where it came from. And I also spend a lot of time trying to figure out like, but, but what about all these pieces? And it's all of them. It's all of them. It's your experience. It's your ability to read people. It's your ability to like, like just listen and process to a space. And it's also listening and processing to that space and those people on another level that we don't necessarily account for with the five physical senses. Is there, for some of the things they have like these psychic abilities, how does one go about, obviously they go to your website and read your books mm. and you go more in depth about it. But if I want to, uh, improve my psychic ability, what are some exercises people could do to kind of test that, to kind of see, to t- kind of jump into that other unknown part where there is that other ability that isn't part of the five senses, like you said? The first thing is to really get, get to know the inside of your head. Like, how do you process, how do you interface with the world around you? Um, what of the five physical senses are the things that you keep key in on first. Like, are you a really visual person? Um, are you really good at listening, like, like reading body language? Are you someone who just picks up auditory cues? Learn about that, learn about yourself. And then as you're having experiences, like anytime you, make, you meet someone and you just get a, a, a vibe off of them, step back and ask yourself why. Like actually deconstruct everything that you have from that experience. Why would I have this conclusion? Was it the way they looked? Okay, well, could it actually be the way they looked? Was it, you know, some set, was it something, was it something they said? Like, did they reference um, a piece of music that reminded me of someone else and that other person is a bad person and my brain just did the pattern recognition and said, they're probably the same way. And if at the end of all of that, you can go, but there's still something else. Spend a little time with what that something else feels like for you because it will feel different for everybody. Some people it's gonna be gut, some people it's, it's up here. Like it's, it presents differently for each person. But once you recognize what that feels like, you are better equipped to recognize when it happens in other situations. When it's like, okay, it's not how they look and it's not what's going on, it's this other thing. Like this is a psychic impression. Like this is how this is for me. And once you recognize it, you can start to harness it. You can start to build it. Um, and you can start to like really see how it has informed your experiences your whole life. It was just so quiet. You didn't see it. Right. What I love about you is that you have this ability and you're not just sitting at a table having people come to you and, oh, here's $20, tell me when I'm going to die or all this stuff. And it's, it's refreshing because I think you're the antithesis of uh, uh, Miss Cleo growing up or people like that late night TBS after watching Monster Vision with Joe Bob Briggs and these commercials come on at 2 a.m. Oh, call in, she'll tell you about all this stuff or he'll tell you about this. And it's it's interesting that there are people out there that will use this ability, and I quotation that, um, for financial gain. But people like yourself, obviously there's others too, that use this ability to maybe make the world better or use it in a positive light where you're not chasing the money aspect of a talent that one that you have or someone that might not have, but still uses money as a means to, and I'm always kind of, it is fascinating because you go through a carnival or a circus and maybe not so much now, but I was always 
you walk by the fortune teller. Mm-hmm. Uh, even growing up watching uh, Wizard of Oz or watching Big with Tom Hanks, like this idea of tell your fortune and tell your will make your dreams come true. It's do you think people like that, uh, not to single out Miss Cleo or mm-hmm. my head, but people like that that are out in the public eye, are they detrimental to people like yourself? that are actually trying to learn, research, and study, and kind of get a bigger, firmer grasp on the idea of psychic ability? I think charlatans of any sort are detrimental to people. Um, anyone, whether they're charging money or not, but if they're, if they're faking or lying, whether it's to other people or themselves, what they end up doing is presenting false expectations of what this looks like. And that is the signal to noise is already terrible. Like we, we've got like all of like, like so much going on in our heads trying to sort out like, what is this experience anyway? And then we've got, you know, uh, Madame Andorra over on the corner yes. going, oh, well, actually, if you're talking to a real spirit, it's going to whisper in your left ear and your left ear only like a tiny little imp voice. And that's anything else is just a demon go away. And like, when you don't know, and somebody speaks authoritatively, then now you're like, well, what if they're right? Like, how do I know that they're right or wrong? How do I even tell the difference? Um, So when we're working in such a thorny unknown territory, uh, when people who don't know what they're talking about and, and the ones that I really hold accountable are the ones who really know that they don't know and they don't care because it gets them attention, money, fame, any of those. Uh, yeah, that's a problem. Uh, it, it makes it confusing for everybody else who's trying to just navigate how this shit works. When I went on your website, like one of the things that's always fascinated me is you talk about different tarot cards and stuff like that. And I've, again, I was drawn into never done it. Um, and I've always just drawn to the art, like the pictures and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. obviously pop culture, ninth gate and all this stuff. Uh, is there a difference between it kind of, if you could just very quickly, and I know it's a long uh, thing, but just kind of the history of the tarot card. And as you talk about specific uh, tarot cards, could you still be effective in what you do using someone else's tarot cards? Or is that something that has to be very specific to the individual? One, tarot started as a, as a game. Um, it was a card game. It turned into something that was a, a divination technique. Uh, so they're useful, especially because of the art. Uh, I do not subscribe. I've been reading tarot since I was 14. Um, I do not subscribe to the belief that if somebody else picks up your tarot deck, it's going to somehow shatter the magic. It doesn't work like that. Um, Tarot, as is every other divination technique out there, the power is more in you than it is in the cards. They are a mirror that you hold up that allows you to get out of your head enough to tell the story of like how this card is speaking to you, to let you tap into a deeper part of yourself. Uh, you could use, I won't say that you can use any tarot deck or, or any deck of cards because you can only use the things that like really resonate with you. It's one reason why there's so many tarot now. Like, like there's, there's tarot that are, you know, light and fluffy. You've got tarot that are like directly inspired by, you know, TV and pop culture. You've got the old standbys. And it's more about, you know, how does the reader interface with this? Um, and is tarot telling the future? Like, like, is it telling a future that is an inescapable fate? I absolutely do not believe that that's true. Um, I have worked enough with divination stuff to say it can project strong possibilities, like probabilities that may happen. But the greater use of tarot is giving insight to where you are at right now and what is your relationship to the choices you may have to make to get the future that you're trying to go for? When you first started into like this field of the occult and stuff, obviously I, for someone like me, if I'm learning about something that there's a fear to it, right? And so mm-hmm. are you still, is there still stuff as you learn to research and take partake in different things? Um, do you, is there a times where you're still scared about the unknown or what could be or what could happen? Or are you kind of to the point now where you're like, I've experienced this, I know how to handle different situations. Because for me, and some of the stuff you've done, whether it's Paranormal State or your books you talk about, there is a fear for Joe Schmo off the street. Like mm. some of the stuff you talk about, you've dealt with, I'm like, 
I would rather be in a, a gunfight or a fist fight. And here you are, this psychic, this type of good versus evil battle you're always kind of in. Now, is, is a fear something you have to control or you learn the hardest? Fears about the unknown and about accurate threat assessment. If, you know, you know guns. Um, I, won't, I won't use guns for me as an example because I'm, I'm not bad with them either. But when you don't know what to expect from a situation and you don't know what would protect you, you don't know how to assess if something's actually dangerous to you, it's always like that's what fear is for. Fear is telling you, get the fuck out of this now, buddy, because you are in over your head. Uh, so the way we counter fear is to learn about something, is, is to learn how to assess, is this actually a threat? Is this really dangerous or is it simply something I don't understand? And that's really how you blast the scary out of the occult, is the further I dig in almost everything, um, you know, I, I, Lorraine Warren was was a big proponent for like the tarot is like, you know, it's 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 going to open a portal to hell. It's going to haunt you like, you know, it and Ouija boards are terrible. Um, and I I have sat and had an argument face to face with Lorraine Warren on camera about Ouija boards and tarot cards because it's all about how people use things. Uh, all of them are tools. And, you know, you can you can smash somebody's head in with a hammer or you can build a house and it's what you do with it. So, so much of it is if you're scared about something, I don't say like use, you know, immersion therapy and just go, go dunk yourself into a haunted house, read up about it, like, like learn about some other people's experiences and, and don't go with only one perspective. If everybody only went with like Lorraine Warren's perspective, you wouldn't hear that, you know, hey, sometimes tarot cards are in fact not going to haunt your house. It's okay. Um, and Ouija board were like, you know, actually parlor games and sort of the way that people would hit on one another in the late 1800s. Which I love with some of the stuff you've done is that with your background research and accolades, I'm always curious, and maybe I'll leave this in this part, with paranormal stage shows like that, Monster Quest or whatever, uh, you're brought on because you're the expert in that field. And so I'm always curious with someone like you or whoever it is, uh, does some the, the channel or the producers they want to get viewers interested in this place and i love the idea that if you get brought in you're going to tell them right to your face hey stop lying you son of a bitch like <laughs> this this is this place isn't haunted or is, is evil or yeah there's some dark history here but that's not all it doesn't mean it's a haunted place and, and i love that about you because for me to really appreciate the paranormal uh ghosts and all this stuff that we don't really know a lot about i want to know the truth and if sometimes yeah. if i want to be like oh bigfoot's real and then some guy comes out here's definitive proof he's not real uh you know what but at least i have the, the someone there is willing to say that where instead of yeah. chasing the paycheck well seriously like there's an there is plenty of weird shit out there like the world is a very strange place we do not need to make more shit up to pretend it's any stranger Correct. than it is. like there's Correct. just there's enough uh, and again, it just confuses people when you're like, oh, we're just going to try to like pretend like this is the exorcist, but actually in real life. And it's like, but it doesn't work that way, guys. Uh, so then when somebody does encounter a real experience like that, if all they have is the pop culture portrayal as their background, they have no tools to deal with it. Of course, it's going to be scary. Of course, they're going to be in over their head. So, so I'm a proponent that like knowledge is power. Uh, the more we share with one another, the better armed we all are. Um, and the more we poke holes in our sort of superstitious dread that has been handed to us by, oh, but it's bad, you shouldn't go study that. Well, yeah, heavy metal music, you said the same thing about that. And you're like, I'm friends with Ozzy Osbourne's son, they're, they're great people. <laughs> right. It's, it's just, it is super fascinating. It all goes back to what we said before. It's like this, this misconception that people that look the part are the part and that it's detrimental to actually moving forward especially when you learn some stuff because sure the paranormal and the, the scary and that it's i'm drawn to it because i i want i want and i don't mean this in a bad way but i want the worst most evil stuff to be true mm. just because growing up you're always like evil spirits and demons and all this stuff and it's it's very uh very interesting i will say i have sat in on uh, possession cases where, where like a Catholic priest legitimately was brought in for, for an exorcism. 
Um, in several cases, it was pretty clearly like a really interesting twist of this is mental illness, but there's also enough psychic ability that that things are being projected. And so like there is definitely wild stuff going on, but it is not not a demon. And I've, um, I've had we had Dr. Richard Gallagher on here, um, and he's one of the top people in the world when it comes he's, the archdiocese would bring him in and the um, and talk about this. But he's in his book. Um, what I loved about him, because obviously I had the same questions for you and different stuff like that, but the research aside and his background in psychology and stuff, he goes, a lot of times there's some stuff you could describe or talk about or explain, but the stuff you could, here's why. I'm a doctor mm -hmm. of 30, 40 years, and I love the idea of research-based answers as opposed to giving the answers to these people or organizations that want for the, the stuff they want to hear. And, it, and I love that someone like you and Richard are able to not do that. Only way we're going to get like advanced in our understanding of it is if we have more people who are like, nope, sorry, no bullshit. On your Instagram, and I do suggest everyone follow it. Um, you post a lot of pictures of cats. And I've always, <laughs> my, one, of my question, one of my questions is I've always read, like this go back to the Egyptian times where the canopic jars are cats and um, guardians of the dead. And they have this presence where cats can sense something off of someone or you hear about these animals uh, that could tell if someone has cancer or like they have like this sixth sense. Now, mm -hmm. specifically for cats, is that like, what are the facts like the myths with that? Because I don't know how you can kind of figure out what the case is with a cat. So I don't know how you're able to kind of figure out that they have that, that sense um, of an evil presence or whatever. Cause at least I live in an old, uh, 1870 Civil War mm. house. And when we had a dog, he would go down the basement. The, now, this was a doctor who operated on both sides of the war. So the basement, obviously the cadavers, people died mm. in the office. There are certain rooms down there. I'll get goosebumps every now and then, not as much now, but the dog would never go in some of these rooms. And he would, hey, come on, come on, come on, Berlin. And he would just say, put, just kind of, mm. is that the animal or whatever? Maybe you could touch upon this, like animals mm. that could that's this, have this old psychic ability. I 100% believe that they are sensitive, that they are, you know, for lack of a better term, psychic. They're way less complicated about it than we are because they don't have to sit there agonizing over like, why am I picking up on this? They pick up on it and they react. When I do investigations and I'm not sure if what the humans in the house are experiencing is like legitimately a paranormal thing or just something that they're expecting is paranormal, I always ask how the animals react because you cannot front load your cat or your dog into believing that a room is haunted. They don't care if somebody told them that like a dude like committed suicide in the easy chair there, they don't care. But if they will avoid that room, that tells me that there's something going on, whether or not it's legitimately like the same ghost that they've been told lives there, that that's, that's up for grabs, but something is there and the animals are reacting to it. Uh, I've had cats specifically for most, for actually my entire adult life. Um, and I gotta say, you've got Jorts cats and you've got Gene cats to borrow an internet meme. Uh, some cats are just dumb as a box of rocks and like they're just a cat. And maybe, maybe in really extreme circumstances that, you know, their reaction will kick in and they'll be like, whoa, I don't know what's in that room. I'm gonna get the heck out of here. And then there are some cats that are incredibly sensitive to stuff, like sensitive to, the, the emotions of their people. Um, they'll know that you're sick before you're sick. They'll curl right. up on you. They'll know if you are sitting there nursing some suicidal ideation and not telling anyone because they, they, they will be right there for you, purring up a storm, trying to make you feel better. Uh, so there's definitely something there. And I actually do a lot of, I try to pay attention to how they seem to interface with reality. Because again, I part of it is they're not complicated about what they're picking up on. They don't spend, you know, 20, 30 years like I have of like, well, is it psychic or is it, am I just like Sherlock? Like, I can't tell because right. the end result is I have information that I can act on. And for me, I take that inspiration, like the animals, like they're, they're reacting to something right. and that something is, is correct on many levels. Uh, you know, the cat will like sit there and stare at the wall. Chances are there's a mouse or a bug that they can hear and you can't. Right. But it's still not like there's nothing. 
you've mentioned uh, music in your life. And you've done stuff with Knox Arcana um, and just or, great, yeah. great neoclassical metal, metal band or synth wave band, one of those. Like, it's tough to classify that band, but yeah, yeah no, it, yeah, it's very hard. <laughs> when it comes to your work, when it's getting ready to write or research, do you listen to music or like how does music help you kind of get ready for a psychic evaluation or writing a research? Because obviously it's a part of your life. Music is a huge thing. My, my mom was a violinist um, and like I grew up with like classical music, folk music and everything. Um, I'm obviously fond of goth and metal stuff and still have a soft spot for classical. Um, kind of getting into hip hop lately. Uh, anyway, so for writing, I will get so into music with lyrics that I cannot listen to music with lyrics if I'm writing because I will just get distracted and start singing along. So it needs to be orchestral or soundtrack stuff. Um, been a lot of uh, Jwali and, and Hans Zimmer lately, just, just big sweeping soundscapes for writing. Uh, for other stuff, it's, you know, music's almost magic and ritual for me. Uh, and it is a marriage of the rhythm and the sound and the language that all go to help focus, you know, what I'm doing and what I'm focusing on. Uh, what I want to accomplish. So kind of like making, you know, I, I am of the age of making mixtapes. So I, I still will like make basically like little mixtapes for myself only on my iPad uh, and have, have a playlist that will be like, okay, this gets me into the headspace to do this thing. This gets me into the headspace to do the psychic reading, or I'm not going into a, you know, random abandoned prison blindfolded. I need to listen to like some other jam to kind of get me going. Before I let you go here, obviously people go to your website, your social media, to learn about more of your history, the projects you're on, the books, uh, but what other stuff you have coming up in the 2022 and moving forward that people can look forward to that you could maybe talk about? Uh, I, uh, I got the rights back to a couple of my early books, which has allowed me to uh, like update some language. A couple of them were dated. I mean, they were like 20 years old. So you know, certain things like just culturally have shifted. I've learned more. Uh, so we'll be re-releasing a bunch of those, and that includes Psychic Dreamwalking and the Psychic Energy Codex uh, and the Psychic Vampire Codex. Uh, I've been getting back to some of my geek roots and writing games again. So I've got a couple of oh, just wow. fun, yeah, fun games to, to come out, um, including one that is a, it's, it's a weird experimental hybrid that is a novel. We grew up with Choose Your Own Adventure books. Yes. And sort of a spin on that but it's it's a novel that stops at specific points and asks the reader to engage and like there's a lot of interplay back and forth so it's kind of a journal and kind of a novel and sort of a game and all of those at the same time called lonely house that will probably come out in march awesome. uh, yeah just yeah fun stuff uh you know filmed Fewer episodes with um, Portals to Hell because of COVID uh, and travel. <clears throat> the one downside of having been an early uh, survivor of multiple open heart surgeries is I am pretty high risk for catching stuff. So I have to be, I've been a bit of a hermit. Fortunately, I kind of like being a hermit. Yeah, I don't blame you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but yeah, books, games. Um, oh yeah, and, and, and of course classes because I've, I've the, yes. with the pandemic uh, being, going virtual with everything has been pretty cool. So I have a Patreon, patreon.com slash haunted. Uh, and it's not just like me talking at a screen, a screen teaching people stuff, but we've got like a, a pretty cool community of people who just, you know, hang out, share their experiences, sort of mutually teach. Uh, like I said, I don't like being a, a psychic for hire. I'm really more dedicated to putting the power in each person's hands, letting them figure out like how this works for them. Um, and my Patreon community is really makes me proud because they're, they're, they're awesome people. Like it's everybody learning from everybody else. That's awesome. I love the idea of everyone from different backgrounds. I assume learning about mm -hmm. something coming together. Just it's, there's something to that. And for you to do that and have fun with that, that's just awesome. So, uh, before, uh, this has been great, uh, Michelle, um, thank you for coming on here and thank you for kind of helping explain this. And we'll have to have you on here again here soon. I uh, will drag uh, Barry Kirch from Shine Down on here because he's got a lot of questions too and we can uh, talk more about everything you discussed here. So thank you again for being on here. Stay safe and uh, we shall chat soon. Thank you. It was great.
Thank you all for checking out this week's episode. Once again, I'm John. If you like what you heard and saw today, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And check out our brand new merch store with hats, coffee mugs, t-shirts, other cool stuff coming down the pipeline. Again, thank you all for support. Be safe and see you next week. What happens when we play outside? We become healthier, both mentally and physically. We become more creative and more focused. We connect with nature, each other, and ourselves. Let's take this outside. A new podcast hosted by me, Marianne Iveson, an aspiring outdoor athlete and nature lover. I speak to athletes, outdoor professionals, and scientists about their connection to nature, how it affects their performance and everyday life. Let's take this outside. Available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, and at letstakethisoutside.ca. Do, did, will, the Story of People podcast is now available on the Cryer Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks, undercurrent podcast at NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holowaty from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Crier Media Network.